I am composer Greg Smith, and very happy to be here in Fort Collins to be doing some concerts with the Fort Collins Symphony and my friend maestro Wes Kenning. Uh, I was born and raised in Salem, Ohio, small town in Ohio. Uh, had some very musically supportive parents, and uh, they exposed me to music of the time, which for them was musical uh, musical comedies. Uh, musical theater stuff, um, the pop records of the day. Eventually I uh, started piano lessons in, at the parochial school where I attended that did not go at all well. Uh, I moved over to guitar, which is what I wanted to do because of, there was this group called the Beatles happening and I, I just had to be doing something like that. Guitar went better for me, uh, so I found my way back to piano and got through enough lessons to be able to play keyboards and, uh, and some guitar and rock and roll bands. And so I cut my teeth in the 60s uh, and 70s on, on the music that was going on at the time. Uh, cut my teeth and ruined some of my hearing, but that's another story. Uh, uh, eventually, in high school, I took a, a music theor theory class. And up until th that point, I hadn't really done too much note reading. It was more playing from the heart, playing rhythm uh, on guitar and keyboards. And, and when I took this theory class, lightning went off. And I thought it was time to, to maybe learn the nuts and bolts of music and learn to read. And so I uh, got started in an extension course at the local university, Youngstown State University, where they had a, a school of music called the Dana School of Music. And I, I kind of got up to speed reading notes and eventually went there. Uh, I got my degree in music composition uh, in music, um, and did a year of graduate uh, studies. I was a, a um, graduate assistant in music theory and composition, and, and that was really terrific. And so I, I, I had a real eclectic uh, uh, taste for music. I still do. In fact, I consider myself to be a severely eclectic composer. And I wouldn't want to have to sell my soul to any given style. Uh, I, I actually like to uh, monkey with all of them. Uh, I did study uh, conducting in college uh, with a, a couple of professors. Uh, I'll be honest with you, though, as uh, I live in Los Angeles now, and I operate in the commercial music field doing uh, whatever call comes in on the phone. And it's assumed that if you arrange and orchestrate the music, uh, that you will lead the session. And so I, I conduct sessions. I don't conduct live situations. I, I certainly respect what real conductors do. I like to think that, uh, yes, I'm a conductor, but actually I just play one on TV. I think it's important to know I, I've been in Los Angeles since 92, but before that I did 11 hard years in New York City. And in New York City I went there uh, because I had written some musicals when I was back in Ohio. and. New York was, first of all, it was closer to Ohio. It wasn't such a huge quantum leap to go there, although, trust me, it was another planet. Uh, when I got there, there was a lot of musical theater activity. I could play auditions uh, for singers. I could be a music director of a cabaret. I could function musically in the theater world in New York. It eventually led to um, doing working for music production companies that were doing commercials, were doing themes for news channels, and that, uh, took me into the recording industry where I got to work with the best of the best in New York and saw how that 
that training worked and it was a baptism of fire you could write it Tuesday you'd hear it Wednesday and that's how I, I really got indoctrinated into the recording world and eventually while in New York I met someone who recommended me to the Disney company in Florida who they needed someone who could do theatrical dance arrangements because so much of what Disney does is theatrical especially at their theme parks dancers parades like uh, fireworks shows what have you um, and it turns out that they uh, they pre-recorded a lot of their music in Los Angeles so they would engage me in New York and fly me out to Los Angeles and I had a chance to see see that world which was uh, so much more dense with opportunities the film industry was out there a the huge TV industry was out there I could still do theme park work uh, plenty of commercials there's all kinds of stuff and there still is a lot going on uh, as well as international work in Los Angeles I encountered so much more international work than New York offered so I went I uh, packed up two kids before they were in grade school it was easier to make the the, the jump before they were too old and hit the ground running in 92 and it's, it's been a really nice ride for me how do I uh, write music for commercials that are based on uh, in this case the Disney features uh, the, the merchant is do I just shoot in the dark or do they give me some background the, the answer is uh, a lot of times if there's a new f animated feature coming out I'll, I'll uh, be privy to what it sounds like either I'll hear some recordings or ideally as was the case when Pocahontas was coming out they I, I went to actual presentations of the pencil sketches which was terrific I knew all about it at that point and uh, and it happens lots of different ways. Disney is very protective of, of exposing that music to certain people, so I, sometimes it's, it's a little hard to come by. Uh, Frozen is one, one example where it was so safely guarded uh, that I, I was not as aware as I wanted to be in the first round of commercials I did for Frozen projects as I would have liked. Now I made adjustments along the way. Once the <laughs> once the soundtrack was released, everyone's heard it, and uh, so so it's it's really nice to know what that movie's all about because they they really do want the commercials to sound like they came from the same parents as the movie. Well, my my process of, of notating music. Uh, first of all, I feel lucky to be <laughs> part of the old school, and and I don't know if you can see the lump on this finger that lump got there from holding a pencil perhaps too tight but or maybe more likely for long periods of time I started out with with uh, pen and ink and pencil and paper pencil and paper for the scores ink for the parts see my first real music job in New York was as a copyist and there was no computers were not happening then so I learned the old-fashioned way I'm, I'm glad to know that and I'm glad to not have to do it that way anymore <laughs> and 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 now w when I, I do music uh, let's say for for a Disney theme park show a fireworks show or something like that my clients want to hear all the music mocked up by computers by samples and and so there's no guesswork when we go to the actual session with the live musicians so my, my work gets mocked up in in the computer uh, and those same notes that, that uh, become the demo for the project they get exported to uh, let's say software like Finale, you're probably familiar with that, or Sibelius and then uh, one of Disney's uh, music prep guys, copyists, opens it up in their software and and then the information is, is I guess in computer notation. It's sent back, it's printed up then, it's sent back to me and I add my, my detail work, my accents, my slurs, my lyrics, I can change things 
with pencil and paper. I still do it that way. And then I send that back, that gets inputted into the computer again, and it's done. My main equipment uh, that I, I do all this work with is a sequencer called uh, Digital Performer by Mark of the Unicorn, Motu. And it's a, it's a wonderful platform for sequencing and for recording actual audio. Uh, and as far as sample libraries that play my sounds, uh, there's tons of them. And I have a lot of them. I have a lot of old ones I still use for certain things. I have a lot of the new ones. And the technology, I, I thank my lucky stars for it every day. Technology keeps improving. Um, the, the flexibility of the sounds keeps improving. Although I'm, I'm more of a note person and less of a program programming person. Like I, I don't feel the need to go in and tweak every little sound. And the less time I spend with the computer tweaking, going in deep, the better. So some of the libraries that come right out of the shoot sounding great. I like to use those. The fact that a lot of the things I, I uh, sequence and do on the computer will end up being being played by live musicians is uh, uh, a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, it's, it's a good thing because I do know how to write for the live musicians and the, the danger is if you put it in the computer, well, the computer will play anything you want at any tempo you want. It, it's it's a, a trap because it translates differently when live human beings have to play for it. So it's important to, to know what how the orchestra works before you fake it with the, the computer or you get yourself into trouble. I'm constantly trying to remind myself that okay, but what's this going to sound like when the live players see it? And you haven't lived until you've been on an orchestral session as the conductor, as the composer, arranger, and you get called down on something by a musician. I say called down, they're certainly much more polite than that. But if, they, if you've written out of their range, that's, that's an embarrassing moment. And, and they'll, they'll be diplomatic, but the rest of the orchestra knows what's going on. There's so many examples of how more, much more difficult it used to be compared to now. And, and one, one of the prime ones is when I was a keyboard player playing in rock and roll bands, I used to have to lug around a Hammond organ. And by the way, the dollars you put on the organ so you could carry it were heavy. <laughs> so you just made the whole thing a heavier experience. A Fender Rhodes, very heavy box. There was so much to carry around. And now it's a bunch of ones and zeros in my computer. But the truth is, and, it, and if you go to lots of studios in L.A., they still have Hammonds, and they still know how to mic a Leslie. And there is a difference between the real thing and, the, uh, trust me, for almost all of my applications of, of a Hammond organ, my plugins work just fine on my computer. Mm -hmm. I'm here in Fort Collins to perform a educational concert work um, called A Major Minor Mystery, which... It's a whole genre of work I, I do. I, I think I have eight titles now. Uh, they're, they're alternatives to Peter and the Wolf, alternatives to Young Person's Guide. Um, and a long time ago, a, a friend of mine who was playing on string sessions and contracting strings for me in New York uh, was some was emerging conductor, and, and she turned out to have quite a stellar career, and she's still a good friend of mine and angel, Marin Alsop. Uh, and she's now music director of a, uh, the Baltimore S Symphony and Sao Paulo and guests all over the world. And um, 
she said, why don't you write an educational concert work? And at the time, she was music director of Eugene, and she was looking for something new to do besides Peter and the Wolf. And, and so I said, okay, <laughs> I'll do it. I had no idea that I was getting myself into a, a whole little closet industry for myself that some 25 years later, 28 years later, I guess now, uh, it's, it's, it's the most fulfilling thing I do uh, because I get to write the scripts, I get to write the music, uh, there's no oversight, there's nobody looking over my shoulder like everything else I do. I'm not trying to please the client, I'm trying to teach uh, emerging audiences about music, something I love. Most importantly, the music played by the symphony orchestra. I, mean, I love the symphony orchestra, it's no secret, and just like anything you like, you want to tell someone about it, right? right? So that's what these pieces do. Now, this major minor mystery uh, was commissioned by Marin. Uh, we premiered it at the Cabrillo Festival Contemporary Music, where she was uh, music director for 25 years. She just finished. We gave her a good send-off in August, too. And it's uh, a mystery, uh, basically a mystery novel done in chapters, uh, where we meet the various... Uh, uh, sections of the orchestra, and it turns out that there's there's been a crime committed. The crime is that someone changed the major to minor, and the, the narrator, in this case myself, uh, is uh, a, a bad guy that's not as bad as he'd like to be. His name is Inspector Beckensteiner, which happens to rhyme with minor and serves me well. Also, it's a uh, I guess if you if you look at German, it sort of means symbol stoner, which that's not a bad thing either. So uh, he interrogates the various sections of the orchestra, trying to find out who changed the major to minor, even suspicions of the audience. And he certainly doesn't trust the conductor, in this case my friend Wes. Uh, and it's, it's tongue-in-cheek. He's kind of a Sherlock Holmes gone bad. And, uh, and after about 20 minutes, 22 minutes, we reenact the crime. And uh, it, the, the best surprise about these works I've done is, is the willingness of the orchestras to go outside the usual musical boundaries. They have to do a lot of things that are non-musical. They have to uh, scream a little bit, they have to be suspicious of one another, they have to act a little bit, and uh, it always pleasantly surprises me that they do it, because if they didn't, as the narrator, it would hang me out to dry. So it's, it's a, a very enjoyable experience uh, for me to goof with them, I get to goof around with Wes a little bit, and uh, the audience sees us having fun, and hopefully they're entertained by the storyline and uh, a few jokes. And I, it's it's a nice way for me to spend spend my day. Wes is a good friend of mine, as is his wife Leslie. And I met Wes at the Cabrillo uh, uh, Festival of Contemporary Music. The Cabrillo Festival of Contemporary Music is in Santa Cruz, and it's it's been there for years and years and years, over 50 now. And uh, I met Wes there some 25-odd years ago, and he saw the work I was doing there. And he's, he's programmed my works many times over the years. And, we, and so we become friends, and we, we have a good time when we get together. And he's, you know, it, it's, it's such a pleasure for me because Wes has uh, music, musical theater background. And these educational works I do are... are they benefit from that kind of experience because there's a lot of cueing between narrator and conductor. The notes themselves are not hard to play for the musicians. The conductor and the narrator have to sync up though. And it's important to have someone with sensibilities like Wes has from doing opera, from doing musical theater. Uh, 
and, and so it, it's a it's a much more fun experience for me without stressing too much. I have been to Fort Collins. Let's see, how many times have I been here? Um, this is fourth time, I think. Fourth time. Yep, yep. I like it here. One of my other uh, pieces in the family educational genre is uh, a work called Zoo Song, which was commissioned uh, and premiered by Marin Alsop and the Colorado Symphony and the Denver Zoo. And Marin had been talking to those organ uh, to the zoo and wanted to do a, a combined effort and called me up and asked me to write something on a zoo subject, and so I was in touch with. Uh, a couple of experts there at the zoo as I wrote the piece. It was really a terrific experience because I, you know, I like animals and they know all about them. And so they, they uh, I kind of wrote myself into a corner with a story. It's about a little girl who, who goes to a zoo and she hears a sound that she really likes and she spends her day trying to find which animal's making the sound because it seems to be moving. And by the end of the piece, she, she's discouraged because she hasn't found the animal. And uh, and I, I was stuck, and I, so I was talking to one of these zoo experts, and, and he said, "Well, how about how about a peacock? They're free range; they they walk all over the zoo." And sure enough, we we took the sound that a peacock makes. I think it's something like, a, and I, I built that into a motif, and that's the sound she follows around the zoo. But the guy saved me. Um, I, I do instrumental music as well as songs. I, I do. I write songs, and uh, we were talking about the commercials I do. Most often the scripts are written before I'm involved and approved. Let's face it, the, the words in a, in a commercial are very, very important. That's the message. So that, that's handled usually by the ad agency. Um, now, songs, uh, I, I do, in fact, uh, a fair number of songs for Disney, for their theme parks. In fact, I, I've written two in the last uh, couple of months. Uh, so I'm, this is fresh in my mind. Uh, if you're wondering if, whether I write lyrics first, music, it, it's sort of simultaneous. The, I obviously know what the message of the song is meant to be uh, from the direction I've been given, but th that direction can be very vague. So I, I, I play with some, some song ideas lyrically, what could possibly be a hook, you know, what would, what's the song about, what's the title. I'm, let's face it, songs to succeed a lot of times, especially in practical formats like a theme park, it should repeat a lot. There should be a lot of repetition built into it. Um, so if, if I can kind of get the gist of w what I want the, the song to be about, that helps. It's important to know the energy, you know, how fast. It's important to know the, the style. I, I write styles in old genres. I write contemporary songs. Uh, so I narrow the field, and, and because I write lyric and, and music, it's integrated. The process at that point is integrated, and it's give and take along the way. You know, I, I don't even have to talk out loud about it because I'm me. If I start talking about out loud, that's probably a bad sign. I do collaborate with some, some lyricists if it's something specialized or if I'm approached by a lyricist. But uh, more often than not, if I have enough time, I, I kind of like to, to get in there and dig around with it. I also have a musical theater background. I can write musical theater songs, which you know, sometimes... Um, more fun, for instance, major minor mystery. There, there's there's a couple of numbers in that. You might be hard pressed to find a chorus, but there's some some singing that goes on and some scene songs that happen. So I I like to play in that world. It, it may not be 
all that embarrassing, but it was it was really disappointing. And, and Wes loves to tell the story because it happened with him, and he just thinks it's hilarious. And I go along with it, the fact that he thinks it's funny. But we were doing a concert uh, at the Concord Pavilion, just north of San Francisco. Well, Wes at the time was conductor of the Oakland Youth Symphony, a very fine youth symphony. Man, they were really good. And we were doing a piece called the Orchestra Games for about 4,000 fifth and sixth graders. No kidding, 4,000. Big place, kind of an outdoor place. And they were all there, we were having a little sound check. The orchestra was playing and I was narrating. And there was a gentleman going after me who, who rapped with the orchestra. And he was the closing act for the concert. And, and he decided to warm up the audience a little bit while we were doing our sound check, which pointed out to the audience that there was going to be a guy rapping with the orchestra. And, and then the show started, the show started, the concert started, and I came out and narrated my piece. They didn't really want any delay before, <laughs> before getting to the, 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 the guy that was going to rap for them with the orchestra. And that's, that's all I became at that point. So I, I, was, uh, I was nothing more than a delay for them. And Wes tells the story better than I do, but that was, a, that was a painful moment. Not so much embarrassing as it was painful. They didn't want, want to see me. I was 20, 24 minutes of keeping them from what they wanted to hear. Uh, Tempest Fujit uh, is the most recent piece I've written in the uh, family educational genre. And it, it was commissioned by the Brevard Symphony and conductor Chris Confessori down in Florida. Uh, and it's a simple, it's, a sh it's the shortest of all my works. It's just a three minute, these are the sections of the orchestra piece. That's Time Flies, Tempest Fujit. Uh, and that's the most recent. Um, and as far as in the works, uh, looking ahead at, at uh, you know, I have a few ideas cooking, uh, but I'm, I'm holding off on finishing them until I can maybe pinpoint interests of uh, specific orchestras. If, for instance, when I wrote Major Minor Mystery, I had talked to the Cincinnati Symphony. They had a need for something, that, uh, a piece that covered the major minor uh, idea, and so that's why I wrote it. I like to try and tailor what I write to someone, to some orchestra's needs. Uh, it just makes more sense. So, nothing cooking. As far as me playing instruments these days, uh, you know, I I can play it into a computer and fix anything, any mistakes, any shortfalls I have. So it, it robs me of some of my technique. I still have a piano in my living room, but it it doesn't see a lot of action. I have my guitars on the wall that I pull down when I need to put a track on something. Uh, but I had a, a a lady recently. It was at the Cabrillo Festival in August, and she she found she knew I was a visiting composer, and it was intermission at one of the concerts, and she, and I was standing in the street just getting some fresh air, and she she came up to me and asked me, and she said, um, I I know you're a composer, but are you a musician? I hesitated. It took me back, and, and my hesitation made her want to clarify her question. She goes, you know, when you're not composing, what do you play? So I looked at her and I said, tennis. <laughs> you know, but the truth is, I, 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 of course I'm a musician, but uh, I, I certainly respect the players that really play. I certainly respect the conductors who, who conduct. And see, as a composer, arranger, I can make my mistakes in private. No one knows about it. And at the same time, no one knows how much time I spent on three or five seconds. 
that CBS uh, ID that I wrote that plays you know, all over the place all day long, it's three seconds long. The version I use is three seconds. It took a long time to write those three seconds. Well, the approval process, it took place over two weeks. Recording it, I'll never forget that players came in. We recorded it at Capitol in LA and the players came in, they looked at the music that was on their stands because you know the players want to know what they're up against and they, they saw that there was just these like three little short ditties, the longest of which was 20 seconds and they said this is it, this is all we have to do today because I knew what they were thinking <laughs> we're only going to be here an hour or so and I said that's all we have to do and don't think you're getting out of here early <laughs> and we pined over it and we did take after take and Sessions are called in three-hour increments, so they were paid for three hours. We did not use three hours, but we did use two. The re-recording of the original Star Trek theme uh, was fortuitous for me. Uh, and granted that I had worked on the modern shows uh, from the next generation on, on to the end through Enterprise, uh, I worked with the two senior composers, Jay Chataway and Dennis McCarthy. And I, I wrote precious few shows myself, but I would uh, sometimes orchestrate overflow stuff for Jay. And I had a nice relationship uh, with Star Trek, and it was a, a wonderful thing. I'll always cherish it. Uh, I had a, another contact at Paramount who had who was tasked with uh, re-releasing the, the remastered uh, Star Trek original TV series. And he, he knew me from New York and asked me to, to do the re-record of the original Alexander Courage theme. And I was a kid growing up watching that show, trying to figure out which star was going to be the Enterprise at the beginning. So to have that opportunity was huge. But j just to give you some idea what an honor it was, I went to the library at Paramount so I could look at the original score. And I went in there and Bob Bornstein, the, the uh, main prep guy there, he says, oh yeah, I got the score, I'll pull it down. If I can pull out this big envelope full of, of Star Trek cues, and he, there it was, the original Alexander pencil score of that, right there in front of me. And because I had to uh, transcribe it for a slightly different orchestra uh, before we recorded it, and w what I did at that point, um, I call, I tried to reach Alexander Courage. I tried to reach him, uh, and I knew I had heard word that he was still around, and I'm sure he was he was elderly, but I knew he was still at. He was going to music festivals and having fun, and I thought he should conduct this. I really thought he should have the honor of years later conducting this this incredible theme. I couldn't find him. I called students. I called friends. I never did hear back. So I, I tried. In the end, I I conducted it, uh, and and I'm you know so grateful for the experience. It's a piece of posterity. I think I said when I was interviewed for it once. It's 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 hollowed ground. It's sacred. Uh, when it came time to choose the singer for the uh, re-recording of that original theme. Uh, someone recommended Elin Carlson, uh, and I had heard that she had sung on movies forever, and she was definitely a, a legit singer. She could do the legit thing, like it called for. I called her up, and she was she was ecstatic because she herself was, and I'm sure still is, a Trekkie. And she showed up at that session, and this was interesting. Uh, she had a, a isolated booth. We were at Sony in Culver City isolated booth and she decorated it with her, her triples. She had triples all over the place, put her in the mood. And she's, she had her part, her music stand, she was isolated in this room and I was in the big room with the orchestra and we played the thing 
eight, nine times before I realized, well, she had sung it pretty much perfectly every time. She could stop singing now. <laughs> we had her, but I forgot that she was by herself. And so I, uh, it, she wanted to sing it every time. And, and every time it was, it, was, it was terrific. And she nailed it. Do you know how, how, how bad it would have been if uh, the singer wasn't up to snuff? I mean, she was right in every way.